Hi, everyone. It's your host, Aaron Roverman. I just wanted to say thank you for all who are listening to the podcast. And just a reminder that you should go to facebook.com slash speechbubble and like our page. You can also follow us on Twitter at speechbubble. Um, the guest you're going to be listening to today is Scott Hepburn. He's currently part of the all-new, all-different Marvel Universe. He's working on the Drax the Destroyer uh, solo title. For those of you who watched uh, Guardians of the Galaxy, Drax the Destroyer was the big green bodyguard guy played by former WWE wrestler Dave Batista. And ironically... This title is written uh, with CM Punk, another former WWE wrestler, but it's not Scott's first foray working with a celebrity uh, while he does the art chores and the celebrity does the writing. Uh, In the interview that you're about to hear, he explains how he was uh, working with Tom Morello on a book for Dark Horse called Orchid. I hope you enjoy listening to uh, him relay that experience. It was quite the fascinating uh, anecdote. Anyway, on with the conversation. You're listening to Speech Bubble, the podcast that goes one-on-one with Toronto's comic book luminaries. Here's your host, Aaron Broverman. Godspeed, old chum. Hello, fanboys and fangirls. This is Speech Bubble. Welcome. I am your host, Aaron Broverman, and with me today, we have one of the heavy hitters of Toronto's comic book scene. It's uh, Is that a fat joke? <laughs> it could be a fat joke, but I, I really think you're you're making some waves there. So his, his name is Scott Hepper. He, you might know him as the artist for uh, Star Wars, Knights of the Old Republic, He's done uh, a Forever Evil spin-off book, Forever Evil Rogue's Rebellion. He's also known as the artist with Rage Against the Machines, Tom Morello, on uh, Tom's book, Orchid. Welcome, Scott. Thank you, Aaron. Thanks for having me. Uh, yeah, I, I haven't seen you in a while, but uh, you're one of the first uh, raid guys that we that we've had in. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> for sure. So, um, I, I I know knew you before you hit it big with you know DC and you know sort of broke into the, what people would yes, call let's, the let's mainstream. Keep per- telling them how big industry. I am. I'm very very popular. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I'm immense. Exactly. So. Uh, but I wanted to get into, before we get into some of the stuff that you're working on and your work, I wanted to get into, uh, what got you into comics and, uh, you know, growing up in Toronto. Oh, I didn't uh, grow up in Toronto, but oh. I came to Toronto, uh, maybe I think it's 10, 11 years ago now. But, okay. Uh, I, I went to Sheridan for animation. Okay. And I worked in animation, which, uh, sounds better than it, it is. You get to drive every day, but it's kind of, it's kind of, uh, 
the boring version of drawing every day. Uh, comic books is a much wider sort of uh, creative field, and you have a lot more ownership over the stuff that you do. So you came, you came to Sheridan like ten years ago. No, I, I I mean I joined Sheridan. I'm I'm older than you may be guessing. I'm okay. thirty six. Thirty six. I'll be thirty seven this year. Okay. But I was in Sheridan in the nineties, and I went through the animation program, failed out as all as all good artists would, and then. Uh, Got a job in TV animation stuff, small time, like drawing backgrounds for Ned's Newt and Babar. I remember Ned's whatnot. Newt. Yeah, of course you do. Yeah. Uh, One of the best ripoffs of Aladdin on TV. <laughs> yeah, a Teletoon, for sure. <laughs> for sure, for sure. So, uh, so, but as a kid, were you, were you into comics? Or? Yeah, oh yeah. yeah. I had like my collection. I'm doing air quotes when I say collection. I put, I would own like 15 to 20 comics and I would like pin them to the wall in and I would change the arrangement every time I got a new one to like, so that they, you know, were presented properly. I I guess I assumed that when you owned hundreds of comics, you just covered your entire house with them. So you totally like displayed them. There wasn't like a long box. Well, eventually it became a long box situation. Uh, My parents still have three or four long boxes in my, my childhood bedroom. Uh, what was your first? And they love it. Yeah, yeah. They love that more than anything. Yeah, one day they're gonna just ship it to you, and you're just gonna have like anonymous long boxes. Yeah. Door. What What was your first uh, comic shop? Uh, it was a little. Uh, it was called the Book Nook, and it was this uh, bookstore that was like a basement store. Like you had to go down a level to get into the store, and it was a friend of mine's uh, grandmother, I think who owned and operated this bookstore when I was like 10 to 12 and she decided to put in a magazine rack and the comic books section of that magazine rack, I guess started picking up more business. So she started like expanding and I, I, I think just sort of grew into a comic book store against her will as that <laughs> became more profitable than selling like dime store uh, paperbacks. Wow. That, that, that doesn't usually happen. Usually the well, it was comic like the early 90s. The business, yeah, yeah. That so was the boom, it right? It started booming out of everyone's yeah. Uh, control. Yeah, the speculation market was, was yeah. hot and heavy back then. I remember very clearly when, when uh, Superman 300, Amazing Superman 300 came out and all the variant sealed black cover oh yeah varied, death of the, superman and stuff no uh spider-man i'm saying Sp- oh, okay. I, I said superman i meant yeah. spider-man okay. the todd mcfarland spider-man craze oh like okay so like pitch. torment and and those sorts of issues and it was like a week later somehow it was worth fifty dollars in the bag like nonsense was happening all over <laughs> there. there was a million copies of it but they were somehow all worth fifty dollars yeah that's awesome uh, but then, of course, it eventually busted out. And, uh, and wait, what? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Shit. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so uh, that's my entire investment portfolio. <laughs> did I just lose my house? <laughs> Some people did Damn. back then, for sure. What got you into comics in the uh, first place? I, like, I what mean, attracted the you same to thing. Them? I, I, video games and cartoons and and action movies, and it all sort of was one melting pot. And I liked to draw. I wanted to be the one that was good at drawing. I don't know if I was the one that was good at drawing, but I wanted to be. So I just made that decision early on. Nice. Where did where did you grow up? A small town called Port Elgin. It's okay. on a cottage country up on Lake Huron. Oh, nice. Yeah, just outside the the radiation circle of the Bruce Nuclear Power Plant. <laughs> 
Cool. But you didn't get any uh, uh, powers time will, time or anything. Will tell. We'll see. <laughs> yeah, totally. All right. So what made you want to get into uh, comics professionally? Like after you did the thing at Sheridan, uh, what happened What happened to you after that? As most lazy artists will tell you, it's when – especially when you have no resume and no – uh, like just entry level skills, you get work where your friends are or where people you know are. So I got in at studios where other people I knew from school were working and I would do a test and they needed people right away. So I would get a job there and then those friends would go to another place and I'd get work there. And then uh, some pe- people I knew were working, were doing stuff with uh, Udon, a uh, comic book publisher. Uh, I, I'm not sure if they're still doing publishing anymore they do a lot of like uh translation stuff now but back in the day they were doing uh street fighter comics uh, yeah. capcom properties yeah, I remember that. and uh, when i started with them they needed they're doing fantasy art stuff with white wolf and uh, gaming companies and then uh alvin lee was kind of the only guy there who could legitimately do pro work and uh i started doing his backgrounds i was drawing backgrounds for agent x which turned into deadpool or maybe the other way around and then when he was doing the dark stalker book was it easy to go from animation to comics or uh not really because there's kind of a uh, this a lot of overlapping skills but inking is not one of them like doing clean finished work is not something that animators typically uh have to do but uh you know i wasn't i wasn't uh capable of doing the comic book work yet anyway so having this sort of like halfway step i was a background designer so drawing backgrounds was at least like i could draw things in perspective correctly so what do you think it was that like it was just because you were friends with these people and yeah. so they took a chance on you basically yeah. that was that was yeah like mm, i'd say half of this job is being someone people want to hang out with nice. and and then you have to be able to do the work but if if you're like 24 or whatever i was and not very many people at that age are legitimately you know skilled enough to do the work you're gonna have to give them a chance and let them work up and improve but why would you do that with someone that you don't even like yeah yeah. you know what i mean for sure for sure so tell me tell me a little bit about raid i mean you're the first you're the first guest from Raid officially that we've had. We've had Marco Rudy in here, and he oh, sort yeah. of considers himself like an unofficial <laughs> member yeah, of, of the Raid of the Raid crew. But just for our listeners, because Raid is a, is a big studio in in Toronto, at least. Yeah, so, we got a lot of people under one roof. Yeah, for sure. For sure. So, uh, can you just tell me a little bit about I don't know, like how it was formed and what what the uh, deal it was is like a collective. Stuff? None of the people that formed it are in it. Okay. any longer it was a bunch of people i think it's been 10 years now uh chip Zdarsky and uh kagan mcleod and cameron stewart and some other people who i'm forgetting uh they just they just wanted a place to work that wasn't their house and they all knew each other from from comic events and and socially so they found a place and rented the signed the lease uh it was really just an office space that they could all put their desks in. And then slowly they, one by one, got married or moved from the city or whatever and replaced with other people. And now it's totally turned over and 
about twice as many people. We moved into a larger unit in the same building. Okay, so so give me an idea of like who who's there for well people who don't uh, know. right behind me, not here in the studio, but when I'm working is Francis Manipole, who's now working on Detective Comics. Then Marcus Toe, who is doing uh, New Warriors, Kalman uh, Andershovsky, who's working on the new Canuck project. Yeah, uh, our friend Jason who is sort of an up-and-coming guy. He's trying to get back into illustration and working his way through uh, through some smaller jobs to get his footing again. Obviously, Ramon Perez of Eisner winning uh, Tale of Sand. Yeah. Paul Ravoche, uh, legendary uh, creator of Mr. X and one of the original designers of the Batman animated series. Uh, Carrie Nord from... Uh, Dark Horse's uh, Conan run famously, but now is on uh, something with Valiant and soon something even bigger that I can't tell you about. Oh, okay. But, and then uh, Willow Dawson does more, she's a writer, illustrator, does more like illustrations for kids' books and ed- educational stuff. And she's been doing a lot of like uh, biopic stuff, uh, sort of fantastical fun things that are kind of kid centric usually cool so what's the what's the barrier of entry to get into the studio if there is one you have to be really good looking a (laughs) b you we actually we're all just hanging out at the modeling agency and then it occurred to us (laughs) we can all draw really well we should start something with that uh you just have to be cool with us and have the money (laughs) to pay the rent every we all you know we have a there's spots designated throughout the studio and actually there's a new uh a new guy tonsi who's drawing uh lobster johnson but i've forgotten his last name he just moved to toronto with uh with his wife girlfriend and uh he just joined the studio uh he may or may not become a permanent member but he's he's pretty nice too so do other artists come like knowing the reputation of raid and uh, we get people to come by during the cons and stuff like that. I mean, uh, editors stop by and we are, we're friends with people like last, I remember last con CB Sabowski and Scotty young were hanging out for an evening. Nice. Talking to just shooting the shit. Cool. Of course, CB Sabowski is like sort of like the creative scout at Marvel yeah so so that's that's pretty cool um and you guys some of the members did they did like a comics collective called transmission x right it was like a web it was like a web comic yeah i was one thing and you you were you were involved in that yeah so can you tell me a little bit about about that and well that was just all of us wanting to like at least have some of our energy spent on something that we own Mm -hmm. like something that like with some with some real creative control over. And I mean, it's, I, I'm the, the worst offender for maintaining, like I, I've sort of fell off as soon as I started doing orchid and I haven't picked it up since I'd like to get back to it. But, uh, Cameron Stewart's, uh, Sintutolo won an Eisner. And the year before that, uh, Carl Kershaw's, uh, Charles Christopher won an Eisner. Uh, we also had, uh, Michael Cho's paper cuts, which is coming out a printed edition of a collection 
that will include some of those some of those shorts yeah is coming out this uh september i think okay maybe cool. maybe for the winter so so what was what was your project while you it was were called while the port that? okay which if you remember i was from a town called port elgin so yeah. it was it was sort of like the fictitious retelling of my high school time okay but uh i had this grand opus of a story with like multiple timelines and like crazy overlapping character arcs and stuff like that and it got too daunting and it was the first for me to maintain as like this first project that i was writing and the the structure of of the web comics was just putting up a page a week and i couldn't figure out a way of maintaining the story properly and having that sort of like one and done beat a week installment so i i, I sort of turned it into uh, a story about these side characters called the Givers, which was a real, a real thing that happened in my high school. It was all the all the country kids were called Givers. Okay, and so I took over. I I made them the central cast, and they were basically just hillbillies fighting monsters. Why were they called the Givers? Because they give her. Okay. Ah. Okay. <laughs> I, I mean, we would maintain that name for them, but they proudly announced themselves as givers, <laughs> and people like me were skaters. Uh, nice, nice. There was very little gray area, nice. and in my grade nine, ten, that was like a that was like the Crips and the Bloods. It was like pretty serious yeah, some rivalry. Fights? Yeah, for sure. <laughs> cool. Cool. So, um. How did you how did you get into start doing sort of more mainstream? I mean, I'm sure there are people listening who Just sort of want begging, to get into the business, begging and, and pleading. You know, want that transition from artist alley and to sure. the more mainstream comics. And like, how does that happen? Because I remember you more from artist alley and different, yeah. different stuff. Well, like that. I mean, Udon was a great stepping stone yeah. for me. I don't know if there's really jobs like that anymore, but uh, doing. And animation in general, there's entry level jobs in animation. Yeah. You can be an assistant designer and a cleanup artist and whatever. You don't have to be. You can get a job where you're not immediately competing yeah. with these 20 year veterans. Yeah, my, my brother is an animator and he started out as a production assistant. Exactly. So. There's ways of working up. So, I mean, that was kind of my saving grace is the first five years out of school, I was doing animation work and then Udon offered sort of another little stepping stone closer to to doing full comic book work. But I wasn't really able even to do the comic book work till I was probably 30. Okay. So take me through sort of like the evolution of your skills. Like did it all did it all click for you or was it like a I just general kept taking sort of whatever thing? I could. Okay. And as frustrating as it is, they they rarely give you a job that you can't do. Like mm -hmm. you you keep asking for more and you're like, why aren't they giving me something? But retroactive, like in retrospect, <laughs> I couldn't have done the work had they given it to me mm. any earlier. So I, I mean, I'm always, I always feel like I'm in a little over my head with what I take on. But uh, like with Orchid, for example, they offered me the book and I just started inking it. I had never been my own inker before. I'd never taken on that, step but i just didn't talk to them about it and they just assumed that it was fine yeah, yeah. and then now i ink my own work nice, nice and you were already in with dark horse from from your star wars stuff yeah right? i did a couple years of star wars nice world republic and clone wars nice so that's a nice transition into i mean uh, when i picked up orchid uh over the weekend 
uh, I told people that I'd be that I'd be talking to you, and one of the questions was, uh, ask him what it's like to work on a comic with a celebrity like uh, Tom Morello for right. Raging This Machine, and you're the only one of the one of the only people that I know that's had that experience. Yeah. So, uh, how did Orchid come to you? Uh, well, I just got an email from editors that I had worked with uh, doing the Star Wars stuff, and uh, they just had some. It was sort of a, a undescriptive uh, email saying they had a project. Am I available? Here's some sample script ideas, and it could be a kind of a high-profile thing. So I did some drawings of the title character and one of the one of the villains, and sent it off. And they were like, uh, "This looks great." By the way, it's written by Tom Morello, and he's here's his phone number. So <laughs> that was kind of a fun afternoon. And I ended up talking to him a couple of days later. We talked for like an hour just talking about, you know, what uh, what he wants from the story. And he had been working on it for a couple of years with uh, one of the editors who's no longer with uh, Dark Horse, Dave Land. Just sort of like calling together the 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 main story points and breaking it down into like a feasible, feasible amount of, of work, like a 12, cause they had sort of agreed on a 12 issue arc, mm-hmm. which they don't really do anymore to try and keep them smaller to like five or six issues at a time. Yeah. So what did he tell you it was about? Like, like, for, like, I'd love to hear that sort of. Uh... Yeah. I was like, Tom, sell me on this. I <laughs> sake. I don't come cheap. <laughs> but he was, uh, he, I mean, it was pretty clear. He had done a lot of like world building. He had spelled out a bunch of stuff and I kind of had a bunch of questions for him to try and clarify how does this world work? Where are we in time? What is, what, you know, culturally are, where is humanity? What's happened? What, uh, just moving forward, like what do these people have telephones? Is, uh, do they have, new clothes what do they eat is is you know are there other cities in the world like i just sort of we had to like sort of make some rules onto like what what the rest of the the world looks like amidst our story Mm -hmm. what did he want what did he want to do i mean it's about it's basically about this former prostitute who turns into sort of a a revolutionary against a dictator right i mean he's very much uh he's genuinely politically minded person and he, he he really means all his convictions like it's not he's not uh he's not doing it for for record sales he's 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 very genuine in in these in these ideals he 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 wanted to take someone who is at the lowest station of their terrible circumstances and and have them be the impetus for change in a clear as as most post-apocalyptic and like sci-fi sort of slave uprising stories are is a clear analogy for current political climate and like possible possible uh outcomes for for change change and 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 like things that are in the world now if if they take a darker turn it's just trying to trying to provoke you to think down the line a little on on how bad it could be if you if you're not if you're not careful Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and he I, I know that in at least the second volume, he wrote a whole thing about uh, when is it okay to use physical resistance against somebody, and you know when is it okay to be a pacifist, and right. how, th- those sorts of questions that he was that he was sort of wrestling with in the book. 
Right. Well, our our title character at a certain point, uh, she loses so much. She she resolves herself uh, to not necessarily be an agent for change. She doesn't she doesn't want to fix the world. She just wants to burn it down and and uh, the let the the other characters in the book more become the the like moral compass mm-hmm. for her but her 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 real driving force is just to to bring the whole system down right yeah so so there's that but i think when people think like a celebrity is writing a book yeah there are some people that go well there was the initial fear that it was just a story about rage against the machine or something there was some like (laughs) like tour is like uh like the beatles uh help like (laughs) yellow submarine the yellow submarine cartoon yeah but with rage soundtrack yeah uh so i was i was glad that it was a genuine piece of fiction that he wanted to create it was like a new a new thing it wasn't just a spin-off of his celebrity it was a a real project he wanted to make was there concern of as to whether or not he could actually do the work because i mean well he'd never written a script before okay he's written a lot of editorial stuff he's written i mean he has a uh degree in uh economics from harvard yeah, yeah. he's not a, he's a well-educated yeah, 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 man totally. he's, and he's written many articles for on you know political subjects and, and this kind of thing and he told me uh when they were recording the original rage albums he would write short stories that the songs were based off of mm-hmm. he would write narrative that the that the band would actually base the songs off of like mm-hmm. it would never act it would rarely actually the words he wrote in that be a part of the lyrics or anything, but it was like, this is the energy of this song. It's this kid's story through these circumstances or something. Mm -hmm. So he uh, has a, that, I mean, he obviously has that creative bent in him. He's wildly successful artist. Uh, But it was a bit of a, we had sort of a, uh, the Marvel method of, of scripts writing back when Stan Lee was writing, 20 books a month or whatever okay, so it was. He would, he would tell do, you. He, I mean, he had the script in plot. He had the thing plotted out beginning to end all the events of the book. The characters were all broken down and, and their, their arcs were all described uh, with some room for, for uh, editing and, and uh, you know, as it plays out some, some room for change, but he would, he would, uh, we would go sort of episode by issue by issue rather and break it down to where each book begins and ends. And then within each book, we would sort of talk it through and we need this event to happen. These characters need to have this moment together. They need to break off here. And I would take that sort of bullet point form story and lay out the book. So Mm -hmm. I would thumbnail out the book, adding transitions and, how we get in and out of each scene and, and he would take that and script to, to my layouts. Oh, okay, cool. So that gave him, I mean, the biggest, the biggest tripping point for most people scripting comic book is like having to actually visualize, Oh, this is a close up, This is a long shot. This is, you know what I mean? That, that's a big leap for, for most people who yeah. don't work in, you know, a visual me- medium. Yeah. So I, I, I did that for him. And then, in the second pass, which was his script, he would, you know, we'd make changes as necessary and 
yeah. Do you, I, I also think that for me, it's sort of a challenge to not be as verbose in, in, in the dialogue and like, and like uh, that sort sure. of thing. So, so did you guys have to do like a lot of cuts in terms of, well, that was more the editor's yeah, job. Yeah. I, I tried to stay out of, you know, playing with the words too much. Yeah. I would, you know, if there was some, some discussion going on, I would contribute, but uh, I would let him, handle the dialogue and the editor handle him yeah, yeah. basically <laughs> cool. i didn't want to you know i had enough on my plate yeah, yeah for sure how did you approach the book artistically uh, i thought it i mean it was it was great for me it was literally i'm the only person who's ever drawn these or ever will other than the, the cover artist uh massimo carnival who did amazing work for us but uh so i really had to like dis- make a lot of decisions what do shoes look like what kind of technology exists what what are they living on so i had to really break down where my references are coming from i kind of made some decisions early on like this is the world is it's it's taking place maybe three or four hundred years from now Mm -hmm. and the world now uh it's as if say 50 to 100 years from today the world had flooded but it had happened incrementally so slowly water is is filling up the earth and people are getting higher and higher uh to to get away from the from the climbing water line so things are they have to keep building new things to keep them above the water line new bridges and 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 higher structures and stuff like this and then eventually everything's underwater and then they had to live on barges like water world style for a century and then the waters receded and what was left underneath so imagine slightly more futuristic uh, architecture mixed with today's architecture that had been underwater for a hundred years yeah. and then overgrown as like jungle and whatever reemerged yeah. and everything that reemerged mutated. Yeah. So yeah. animals are crazy big and twi- everything's gone through like a Godzilla, Godzilla ing process. Yeah. Okay. Which is a lot of fun to draw. Yeah, totally. Cool. When you do something like that, I mean, what's, what's different about doing somebody's sort of like pet project uh and and that sort of thing and then going in and doing contributing to the history of like dc and marvel and and working on you know the comics that you've read as a kid uh well it's it's a bigger job you have to create everything marvel hands you a design pack like the you have you have to follow someone's lead and there's certain parameters for what peter parker looks like and Mm -hmm. what mary jane looks like which uh it's fine. It's a little bit limiting sometimes, but I mean, that's the gig. You're not, you know what I mean? They've hired you to draw Spider-Man, not your new creation that's yeah. called Spider-Man. Yeah. But so something like Orchid, it's, it's a lot of front end design work, like a good couple months probably of coming up, you know, getting the characters all getting the Bible basically. Yeah, together. exactly. Yeah. But it's, uh, you know, it's much more, satisfying nice i would think cool so uh switching over like i want to talk a little bit about uh rogues rebellion because that was sort of a spinoff book from their big sort of summer maxi event uh forever evil their september event that they seem to like to do yeah yeah september event you know they they do they do like 52 they do they did the crises in the past and that sort of thing 
And then you you just you sort of got one of those offshoots. The Rogue yeah, Rogue I was and... doing. I mean, as I mentioned before, Francis Manipole sits like six feet away from me. Yeah, and he's been on. He was on the Flash for yeah. years. Mm-hmm. And uh, when the uh, when that uh, Forever Evil thing happened, the Flash had three. There was three villain books in one month. Yeah, so obviously he can't do he can't do all three. So what he ended up doing was writing. Uh, and giving them to other artists, and I did the reverse Flash issue of that, nice. and then that got me in with his editor, who had sort of a last minute. He had to call an audible on on an artist team on Rogue Rebellion, and I ended up. If you notice, the beginning of Rogue Rebellion starts with another artist for half the yeah, issue, yeah, it does, and I take it over, yeah, and then. There's another guy who comes in and splits issues with me on three and four. And it's because the schedule was from jump. We were like three weeks behind. Yeah. yeah. So I had to like do what we could to like make up time. Yeah. The publishing or the, the, yeah, the release of those books is obviously very uh, important because it has, that has a tie in with this. Yeah. Times with the huge books, like the the bigger maxi series through line that's going through all those spinoff books. So it can't be a month later. It doesn't even make sense. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. So, and I, and I guess that was just like deadline stuff. Yeah. They had a guy that they weren't happy with what he had done with it. The original artist, they put him on something else and then called in a a second guy and they weren't happy with what the second guy did. And then I had just worked with that editor. So he called me in and, you know, I did the rest from there. How do you, what does it feel like to be sort of the, the sort of replacement because, because everything's accelerated. Yeah. I was happy to have the work. I mean, I'm pretty sure he would have hired me for something in the coming months, but uh, it just sort of worked out that way. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. For sure. Cool. So, I mean... How do you feel about about doing what you do in terms of you know getting to sort of this level? In, in your uh, I career? mean, I feel it's it's pretty stressful. Yeah. Uh, it's I mean, the last five or six years have been sort of it's hard to like get ahead on money and get ahead on time, and you're it's really logging a lot of hours just to try and get over that hump of credibility. Uh, I feel like I've really rounded a corner in this last year. Like since I finished Orchid, within a month I got three issues of Captain Marvel, mm-hmm. and then as soon as that was over, I did the Reverse Flash issue, and then as soon as that was over, I did that six issue run of Rogue Rebellion. And before Rogue Rebellion was even over, I did a five five page short for the Deadpool wedding issue, and then this half an issue of Batman Superman and now coming this this upcoming september event which i'm not sure if that's public knowledge or not i'm doing two more replacements for francis on detective comics oh okay so things have lined up much more easily now like since i did orchid do you think that it's that it's because of orchid and because of the reputation or well orchid just... got me captain marvel for sure okay the editor uh saima from for captain marvel uh just liked that I had a female protagonist that wasn't just eye candy. Like she liked how I I handled female protagonists. Uh, So that certainly led to that. And that was a a fairly successful three issue stint on that. Things have fallen into place in a way that they never did before. When you are working in comics, do you still, 
is it just a job or do you do you still follow like what's happening in the books and i read get comics just as excited? a lot yeah i i cover i i read a lot i buy i'm probably the most prolific comic buyer of the studio okay uh and there's it's more artists that i follow than titles but uh yeah i'm still excited to do to do the work mm-hmm. and to be able to like i'm gonna do an issue of batman this year that's gonna be bananas <laughs> that's awesome yeah it's gonna be awesome that's cool so and and i guess you sort of have to know what's going on a little in, bit in the books a little bit i mean i i the the title i'm jumping on to is written and drawn by the guy who sits right beside me so i know what his i talk to him about his book all the time yeah, yeah, yeah for sure he writes and we his story and i listen to him and brian talking on skype about breaking down scripts and stuff like that so i know what's happening in his book certainly yeah so the collective environment then really really helped oh my god the learning and the education it made my career okay i probably i genuinely don't think i would be able i would have had to quit and try something else by now if i didn't have the leg up that being in a shared studio gives you what what kinds of things do you learn like obviously we know that you get a lot of opportunities based on who well, you know just not being a yeah that's that's mm-hmm. the biggest thing yeah. but also not being alone in a room with your with your work you have other people to either look at your stuff and say that looked weird or ask them why doesn't this work or but more more than that it's seeing what they're doing and being like oh that works a lot better when you when you use that technique or that sort of simplification of this thing, like seeing other people solve the problems that you're not, you pick up their tricks quickly. Like I've stolen so much and it's the only reason I have a career really. Nice. Nice. That's cool. When you, when you go to shows, you guys often appear together. You, yeah. You're in the same row of tables. Yeah. We're afraid at, of change at, at, at every show. We fear strangers. So, have fans started to recognize you guys as as a as, as a, a collective? And... I don't know if they have. I mean, they used to when we were doing the TX yeah. stuff for sure because we had banners that all had the same logo on them, yeah, yeah, and yeah. they would clump us together. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if they are right now. We are thinking we're in this the the beginning stages of of putting together a new online collective with the guys in the studio currently. Okay. Uh, so hopefully that that will sort of tie us together. Uh, to a new fan base uh coming up later this year i think cool do you, do you notice yourself getting any name recognition at shows uh not really i've never gotten gotten uh that kind of uh recognition but uh i guess a little bit it's hard to say people usually stop at my table because they see the drawings they don't yeah. generally know my name they mm-hmm. just see the pages out and it makes and they want to check that out and then the like the people who get sketches and stuff like that, I think that's a higher priority than than you know who you are. Seeing that I've done a cool drawing of Thor in the past, it, you know, I'll, I'll get this guy to draw Thor. That's yeah. generally the kind of credit I get. Nice, nice. And it's it's kind of nice to just have your own life and be sort of. Well, it's hardly you know an affecting celebrity. Yeah, to be yeah, recognized yeah, for sure. As comic book for artist. sure. It's it's a very narrow window of society that gives a shit. Yeah, <laughs> like Jim Lee certainly is probably the biggest name in comic books, yeah. the most recognizable. That dude 
goes to lunch and nobody cares. Like it's not, (laughs) that's not real fame. So I'm, I'm fine with people knowing who I am, like to be a Mike Mignola or, you know, someone of that, that, uh, career long recognition would be would be fine by me i'm not worried about that yeah yeah, for sure cool man so uh is there anything else that you want to talk about in terms of what's going on in the future what your hopes and dreams are for your career and uh and uh, how how things are going i've got so many hopes and dreams uh yeah i mean we won't we all in the studio are talking more and more about our own creator own stuff writing writing and drawing our own projects uh either for self-publishing or for online publishing Mm -hmm. or potentially to pitch to an image or a boom or these kind of kind of publishers can you talk about that a little because once you've drawn like the big like the big heroes like you know the batmans and supermans and that sort of thing yeah does the thrill sort of go like not for me because my thrill is in like i'm still nowhere near as good as i want to be okay so i the subject matter isn't actually that big a deal to me it's just i I think it's fun well it's more that i I'm more proud in drawing something really well that no one's ever heard of than doing a mediocre Spider-Man page. But so I'm constantly, my goals are set by trying to improve as a artist. Certainly it's better for your long-term financial uh, security to be someone who owns the things that you draw. Yeah, for sure. And if anything comes of it, if someone wants, someone sees, uh, you know, a movie idea or an animated series idea or a toy line in what you do, then that's the lottery ticket. Yeah. yeah. Orchid could be a movie. It could be. And it may well be. There's some, there's some talk about, about other iterations of Orchid that may, that may manifest this year. Nice. Sounds good. All right, man. Well, thanks for, thanks for coming in. Uh, This has been a great chat and and I, I'd always love talking. Yeah, for sure. All right. Thanks for having me. See you guys next time on the next episode of Speech Bubble. This has been Speech Bubble. See you in the future, friends. Never Sleeps Network. This has been a Never Sleeps Network production, executive produced by Alex Ross. For more information and content, visit NeverSleepsNetwork.com. 